Welcome to the Wisdom of Madness with Rasuli and Jesh Darox. Two friends from different worlds discuss the beauty and mystery of creativity. We deal with rational thinking and emotion. Those are the two ends of the spectrum. When emotion comes into the picture, rational thinking moves away and the opposite happens. Unless they find a relationship between themselves. In order to develop that relationship, the container has to be available. Otherwise, contents would not be anywhere. It's the contents that we get attracted to. It's the contents that pulls our excitement out. But we have to make the container. More attention we give to the container, the better container we have for having the content that we want. If we put the contents before the container, the contents is meaningless to us. So making the container is the first step in the process of creativity. When making the container is combined with the emotion, becomes creativity becomes a work of art. That is the capability of an artist. So the relationship between these two and how the artist can find his or her own way becomes really the style of the artist. I think it's interesting that some objects, some forms provide better containers for emotion than others. You know, because when you're talking about the container and the content, I'm imagining on a practical level, a container is like a canvas, like an empty canvas, you know, and the content is what you pour on there. And of course, if you take the canvas away and you're just throwing paint into the empty air, you could have painted the most incredible painting anyone had ever seen, but nobody would ever be able to see it. And I think on a level interacting with what you we're talking about earlier, the body can take so many different shapes and the mental structure, the, the thought forms can take so many different shapes. And some of those shapes can be really great, beautiful canvases that are easy to put emotion on and hold emotion well. You look at a frame and it's very simple. It's very simple. It's very clear. If a canvas was very complicated and had 79 pieces to it, it would not be as easy to be a regular conduit. You see something similar with instruments. Something like a guitar seems to be so big, or a cello seems to be so big, but mostly it's space. It's a very simple thing, and it's mostly space. Just like what we're talking about with the canvas, with the instruments, they have to be shaped, they have to be tuned for that full conveyance to really happen. Because it's so hard to see ourselves in our own body, in our own mind, it's very confusing how to get into these artistic states and why sometimes it works for us and why other times it doesn't and why sometimes people respond and why sometimes they don't. It really does have to do with this balance, like what Rasuli is talking about, this really beautiful dance between 
the form and the essence, the container and the content. And when you hit that balance just right, this vibration gets sent out. First step that you need to take is develop a rhythm. And that rhythm better be your own rhythm. By developing the rhythm, you can find your territory, set your limits, make the container as expansive as you can in your own world. Rhythm is something I think that's easier to see or measure or talk about in retrospect. Once there's a rhythm going, you can say, oh, that's a great rhythm. It's the perfect one for this song. But I think in the initial stages, when there is no rhythm yet, and someone's being told that they need to develop a rhythm, I think it's really important to emphasize that the first attempts at rhythm will basically just be nearly random jets into the dark. You have to start somewhere and you start hitting things, you start putting yourself out there, you start expressing. This regular attempt to continue movement again and again and again, regular explorations, regular pushing past boundaries and edges and fears, if you keep doing that and you start doing it consistently, you start building an awareness that some forms of that feel better than other forms. My friend Jerry, one of the things he told me one time that I'll never forget, he said tons of people have talent, tons of people have beauty, and people have all kinds of skills, but the thing that's actually the most rare in humans is persistence. Without persistence, none of the other stuff even matters because you could be the greatest whatever in the world, and if you just do it once or twice or three times, you can never develop that rhythm that Rasuli is talking about. Early attempts at rhythm will look nothing like rhythm. And I think a lot of people judge themselves too harshly in those early attempts to develop that rhythm in a similar way as I think small saplings, they will look at a giant tree and they will say, ah, oh, I look nothing like this. I guess I'm just not the kind of seed who's ever going to become a great tree. Those two visuals are very, very deceiving because what you're really seeing is the exact same thing plus journey, a long journey and a lot of nutrients found and a lot of obstacles overcome. You can't ever see the journey. You just kind of see how the tree ended up. Or on the converse side, you see where you start is this little tiny seed. It takes this certain kind of a pluck, certain kind of a madness compared to most rational thought that you have to keep doing this thing, even though your visual signals and voices of people around you will say, you're being ridiculous right now. You're going in the wrong direction. This is nothing like anything that's going to be helpful. Early attempts will almost always seem ridiculous to other people and even to your mind that has absorbed the voice of other people and used that as a major informing uh, advisor. And so it's almost like if you're doing something ridiculous, great. That's early stages of developing into something interesting. Just keep doing it keep doing the ridiculous, keep doing it and keep doing it and keep pressing forward until just like a miner, you're hitting through rock, you're hitting through rock. And then all of a sudden you feel something different. The pick strikes. It's a different kind of a feeling at the end. And you've hit a different kind of a metal and you brush things away and ah, oh, there's a little piece of sparkly gold in there. Most of the hits are not straight into the sparkly gold. Most of the hits are into hard rock, which certain parts of your mind and many other people will tell you that is worthless. How beautifully described that whole process. Life begins with rhythm. If life begins with rhythm, everything in life has to begin with rhythm. Sure. We develop love with rhythm. We develop hatred with rhythm. We develop everything with rhythm. But when the rhythm is 
coming from heart and we surrender to it, the rhythm is joyful, becomes a beautiful dance. My life is to develop a rhythm that would guide me. I do that as I'm painting. I sit down in front of a black canvas and I stare at it. And I stare more at it. As I'm staring at the canvas, sometimes it takes a long time, sometimes it takes two hours, sometimes it takes five minutes, sometimes I never get to make any connection with it. But the moment something visual comes into my vision, the moment I see something in my mind, not on the canvas, I begin to see it on the canvas. As I am playing around in my mind, I'm developing rhythm. If I'm influenced by some thought or somebody or something outside, I cannot develop a rhythm. It keeps on breaking. All you have to do is go into silence. All you have to do is look into darkness. All you have to do is to give up everything, set off everything, and just go into that zone. And in that zone, something begins to appear, and then you go after seeing something else that relates to it, because you enjoyed this one that appeared. And then the next one, the next one, suddenly you have developed a rhythm that it makes it so joyful. I really, really resonate so strongly with what you just shared. It was really lighting me up as you were speaking it. And I think one of the most compelling aspects of that that really took my mind off in a new direction I've never thought of is that guidance is very directly related to that rhythm. And when you're on a rhythm and you've got that rhythm down, you don't have to think about what to do next. Your hands know exactly when to go back because you're in that rhythm. But before that rhythm, the critical mind gets really strong and says, well, do I do it now? Do I not do it now? Do I not do it now? We have these things called drum circles. A bunch of people will just sit in a circle and, and hit something together. And people love that. They love it so much. And it's, it's kind of funny to describe that process if you didn't know what it was. And you would say, Sam, what did you do tonight? Well, I took a big stick and I sat in a circle and I hit a cup again and again and again. It, it doesn't sound very fun. It doesn't sound interesting really at all. You know, it's super low tech. But why do people love it so much? Why they love it is because they get into this rhythm. And what's the benefit of the rhythm? They have guidance. They don't need to think. They, they don't need to decide all of these complicated decisions that plague us so often. And you look at some of the people who do wild, amazing things, and it sure does look like they have guidance, but not a normal kind of guidance, some guidance from some other place, from some other time, from some other voice that's speaking to them. And that seems to be one of the chief differences between them and everyone else. They're hearing this thing. They're seeing this thing. They're feeling this thing. They're moving to this thing. They're creating with this rhythm that, that no one else could see. But once they 
fully allow that rhythm to take them over, they become an embodiment of that rhythm. They become a footprint of that rhythm. And it doesn't matter what form the art is. Sometimes it's through a book of poetry, or sometimes it's through a dance, or sometimes through music, or through visual arts. But when they fully give themselves to that rhythm, they create this very powerful invitation to anyone else around to get pulled into that rhythm. I watched this interview last night with Kanye West, and I have always loved that guy. I just always have, and it doesn't mean I always agree with everything that he does. I don't even like all of his music, but I have just always recognized that there was a very powerful creative spirit in him, you know, that I just always resonated with. And he's been very controversial at times. He's very controversial right now because he's wearing the MAGA hat. He met with President Trump and among his circle of friends, among his audience, that is a very controversial thing to do. He was asked about that last night in the interview, like, why do you do that? And he said, part of the reason why he does it is because it takes bravery to go against the common tide of the mass so strongly. He said he'll be wearing that and people will just come up to him and swear at him and say, fuck you. And he said, we should be allowed in this country, we should be allowed as humans to express whatever we want to express, as long as it's not hurting someone else, we should be able to spark dialogue. And he says, it is so difficult just to wear that hat. The presenter knew all of the right things to say. He knew why he feels it's inappropriate to wear that hat. He knows why it offends people. And so he kind of spoke from that. And I understand those things too. And I'm not saying those points are not valid, but I think Kanye raises a deeper point. It's not necessarily is it right or wrong to wear that hat? Is it hurting or not hurting someone else? That is a whole point of relevance that has its own path. That wasn't his point, though. His point was one man against hundreds of millions of people with a different opinion is a difficult thing to be. It's a very difficult thing to be. And most people don't practice stretching that particular aspect of themselves. They don't work out in that particular way. So for me, I don't even think it's that he loves Trump. I think he loves putting himself in the position where it's him against everyone else so that he can practice his strength. He said, the other day, one of my friends was telling me, your power is your influence over so many people. And he says, no, my power is the ability to not be influenced by everybody else. And I thought that was so brilliant and really just cuts right down to the core of it because we are so frequently and so often influenced by everyone else around us, by our genetics, by our environmental situations, by our politics, by our culture. In all of that huge noise, where are you? Where is your voice? Where is your rhythm? Where is your contribution? That is maybe the most important question of a human life, and it is one that most humans never even get to a place where they're really able to spend time trying to answer that question. A rhythm means that I'm constantly changing my direction and I'm moving forward the way I feel connected with. The whole function of the artist is to awaken people, is to develop agitation, is to get this whole arguments among people 
this is what art is all about. Art is not about right way or wrong way or any of these things. He is an artist. That's his dream. I might agree with it or disagree with it, but beyond his dream, the power of developing that agitation, that is a power, regardless of agreement or disagreement with any specific forms that we see. Appreciation of that develops the power of art over the public rather than power of politic, yes. rather than power of religion. Yeah. We got to appreciate these things. As much as we hate or we love the idea, the concept, but the agitation is what we need. What you just said about the agreement is so stunning and powerful because he actually mentioned that specific thing in the interview, which I know you haven't seen yet. He said, our job isn't to agree with each other all the time. He said, that, that's not even our job. People think that that's when you're being good is when you're agreeing with everybody else. Very famous thing that he did that caused a lot of trouble for him is he was at this awards show and this one singer won this award that he thought should have gone to someone else. And he went right up onto the stage, took the mic and told everybody that they had made the wrong decision. And he got so much flack for that. He got put down in so many ways for that. And he was telling the story on this interview that his father actually would do the same thing, but his father wasn't famous. And so in a much smaller setting, like a bunch of people were talking about something and his father would come in and say, no, 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 you guys have it wrong or, or whatever. And David Letterman said, well, what do you think about that trait just as a trait that your father had? And Kanye smiled and he says, I love it. And the point was, it's really interesting that on a small scale in a room of 10 people, someone interrupts everyone else and says, no, guys, you have it wrong and says it passionately and says, and this is why. That's not only okay, it's actually kind of interesting. Those kind of people tend to be leaders. And yet, in this particular venue that has a very rigid form of this is how it's always been done, this is the 63rd one that we're doing or whatever, and millions of people are watching this, suddenly it becomes more important to agree than to tell the truth. And that really starts to get dangerous. It really starts to get dangerous. And I'm not saying that at all moments we need to be participating in absolute chaos because there is something beautiful about the ability to agree with others, the ability to coordinate, the ability to sync rhythms with other people. If you're jumping on a train and the train has 200 cars on it and you're thinking, oh, well, there's 200 cars on this train, so it must be going to someplace great. That is not necessarily true. And it's really important to look at where is the train going. I think a lot of times we make decisions about where to go based on how many train cars there are on this particular train. If you look at the current state of the world and you look at where it's going, we're destroying the planet. There's a lot of pain in a lot of places. There's a lot of people taking advantage of a lot of other people. There's a lot of greed that's keeping resources that could help other people away. There's a long list of things that I and almost everyone else could say about what isn't beautiful about the current world situation. So if that's the result of the sum total of most of the world's thoughts and ideas and opinions, the sum total of all of those particular rhythms have led us here, then I think that needs to be questioned. The sum total of thoughts needs to be questioned, which means that any single part of the consensus deserves to be questioned. It doesn't mean it deserves to be destroyed or thrown out, but at least it should be questioned. 
And I think what he's saying that's so powerful is, I am a questioner. I am a person who wants to practice questioning the path of that train. And even if I'm wrong, even if I'm, I get smashed because of that, I feel that is my duty or service that I want to do and be. And I do think that takes an extraordinary amount of bravery. And I think it is something that him practicing that on a mass scale in front of so many people is a really valuable example. And it's so easy for us on the sidelines to put popcorn in our mouth and make judgments about, well, I like him. Well, I don't like him. I think both of those things, honestly, are kind of missing the point. It's about, can we take that ideal and put it into our own life? Can we be in our own relationships questioning part of the rhythms that keep leading to places that are not for us, are not for our life, are not in honor of the gift that we were given? And how do you know? Because things that are in honor of the gift you were given light up your entire body. They make your cells spin. They make your body want to move so much that you shout or you cry or you laugh or you enter into such a state of stunning stillness that people around you can tell something important just happened. There's a sacred space that just got made. And that sacredness can be found in so many different forms that the body makes. But if we're not regularly entering into that state, we are missing out on the entire reason why we have bodies in the first place, because that is the highest purpose of the body, is to be a part of developing that rhythm that somehow starts sending vibrations to all of these very normal physical things around it to come together in a way where a spiritual door opens. And this moment of transcendence, of profound wisdom, of deep connection, of this intrinsic connection that we all have with each other and with life itself suddenly becomes apparent. That is the highest purpose of of the body and what the body is for. And a lot of us are not regularly practicing on a daily basis one of the primary skills that is required in using the body for that. The ability to be okay disagreeing with very loud, very strong, very powerful forces. Usually the first thing that happens with us is that we don't really appreciate our body. We don't really know how great of a gift this thing is. No. And we just constantly do things that causes pain for our body. And we have no idea why the container is cracking. When you deal with the cracked container, there is no way that the content can rise. There's no Mm. way that you could create beyond that. The struggle of the content is to stay at the position (laughs) that they are. Yes. (laughs) Different artists have different dreams. Judging somebody's dream doesn't have to do with rationality. It's a dream. (laughs) It's not a rational thing. So comes the problem of what is the truth? We don't really know what the truth is. No one knows the truth. All we deal is facts. Somebody comes and say, hey, don't even trust your facts that you have been following for centuries. Whether you agree with it or not, it's just agitating. 
it makes me realize that next time somebody reads something in a book and wants to relay it to me, would I accept it as a fact? When I hear the news, is that really what it is? These are the moments that we do the setbacks. The moments that like dancing tango, there's a step back that we need to take. The beauty of life is to change your rhythm constantly, just like the way the breeze blows and you just follow the breeze. Our problem is that we make our own truth all the time based on our own factual things that is perceptive for us. Exactly. We accept so-called truth from other people. Right, right. Dream is the truth because far beyond what brain can digest, far beyond the limit of the thoughts, there is only imagination. And imagination is what takes us into dreaming. Accepting someone's truth doesn't mean to judge the truth, because the moment you judge the truth, it becomes factual based on your knowledge of what is fact. I think the clearest rendition of it I've ever heard in the simplest form is what Jesus said. Here's how you're going to know you're in the truth, because the truth will set you free. That's what the truth is. So anything, any form, anything that sends that wave through your body of that freedom, we tend to think of truth in the terms of a factual, rational container. And I don't see that truth can really fit into that except for in a particular moment. In a particular moment, both truth and fact can intersect in a way where they can be in the same place at the same time. And that's very confusing for people because then later they want to take that fact that had the truth in it then, perhaps, or that just happens to be aligned with it, and then they want to just copy and paste that forward forever into the future. And it's like, that's not how it works. Truth is always present. It's always of the moment. And that is when the heart kisses the mind and says, I love you. That is that moment of union between the two. Jesus talks about this thing where you can believe a lie and you can become damned. And if we throw out the Renaissance version of what damned means, all the fires and stuff, the Dante's Inferno thing, and you just look at damned as like water getting damned, it's stuck. That's what it is. It's stuck. And so the rhythm stops. Very clearly, you could see that one of the things that that could mean is that sometimes we believe in this fact and it sticks us. It stops the movement. It stops the exploration. And we become damned by that. And, and that fact becomes a lie even if it might in some ways be true according to some measurements a person alone in their room might say i never do anything with my time i'm wasting my life and then the next day they have the same thought i'm wasting my life i'm not doing anything and the next day and the next day and for three months every day there i'm wasting my life that's kind of true (laughs) and it's also a lie in the sense that it's not in regard of the potential of, of what could happen. Someone says, I'm just not a good person. I'm not doing anything with my time. Yeah, but you could be in this very next moment. And I think truth to me, what it means is so much to do with movement. And movement is so much to do with potential. It's not just about where it is in a specific frozen moment. Movement is about where it's going and where it's been and this dynamism in relation to those two things. It's almost a tricky semantical kind of an issue because we think of fact and truth as the same thing. 
I really don't think that's smart because there should be this word that means in flow, in resonance with what needs to happen right now in relation to potential, in relation to what could happen in the next moment. And for me, talking about truth and thinking of truth in that way is, is really important. So how do we deal with the truth as an artist? How do we reflect the truth in our own work of art, whatever it is? How do we develop that agitation as an artist? We all have our own individual truth. My truth is personal, which is the result of our upbringing, education, friendship, whatever. That is the environment that has developed that to be your truth. As we put the two together, it's not necessarily my truth anymore. We have adjusted our truth to our environment. That becomes a way of presentation of truth for us. If it's accepted by the environment, fine, it goes along with everything else. If it's not accepted, there is a negative thing about it, wants to put away. And if it's the agitation, there's going to be arguments going on. And the arguments is what we need. Not the approval or disapproval. The truth would become the fact that as an artist, one presents it to the public, particular artist's truth. Now you could agree with it or disagree with it. I think another really interesting facet of that is you take Kanye West again, who's kind of the silent star of this particular episode. You think of some of the things he's done that he got amazing press for. He basically single-handedly changed hip-hop music. Before him, it had a lot more to do with gangsters killing people and all that stuff, and he's just never been interested in that stuff. He was a big part of bringing in this chic, uh, more sexy version having to do with love stories. 808 and Heartbreaks, that album, is what inspired Drake to go on his journey and build his whole thing. And Drake was obviously a big part too. But I'm saying all this to say, look at what the public does. They love this person like crazy. They're given Grammy awards. They're the best person ever. And then in the next moment, they do something horrible. Now they're awful and everybody hates you. And it, it's this fickle executioner. In one moment, it's someone that's just adoring you and worshiping. And the next moment, it's an executioner. And that's some form of psychotic that we just have in our psyches, that piece of us. And I think... A real artist or a person wanting to become a powerful artist will just completely throw both of those aside. Just get rid of the psychophantic worship of other people's ideas just because they're popular and get rid of this executioner that wants to spend time looking at other people's dreams and dissecting them and talking about why they're so horrible, mostly just to feel a small sense of camaraderie with this other huge group of people who's already doing the same thing, many of which whom are deeply terrified of the fact that they're not doing anything interesting with their own lives. And as long as they're putting someone else down, they can be distracted for a short while about this massive loss of this incredible potential that's just bleeding out of them at every single second because they haven't configured their life in a way that can be a canvas, that can be a container for the incredible gift they were given. I think a real artist throws both of those aside. What really needs to be paid attention to is your body at every single moment is telling you, I feel alive right now or it's telling you, I don't feel alive right now. It's telling you one of those two things. And if all you did was spend the next three, five years 
just getting really good at listening to your body telling you you feel alive or you don't in a given moment and honoring that, learning how to pay attention to things that make you come alive and do more of those, learn how to pay attention when things are stealing life from you and do less of those, you would start to develop this rhythm, honoring your individual body's needs and your heart's needs and your mind's needs. And you would find more and more moments where those two things intersect in this really powerful way. But I think it's important to say, even in such moments, those moments are not an ending. Kanye has had many of those moments where his heart and mind intersected and something stunning and beautiful was made. And that's not an end. After that, there's more controversy later. After that, there's hardships. After that, maybe you have another such moment. And after that, you die. So this whole story, we even tell ourselves of these great meteoric rises of these artists, and then they float off into the ether. That's not usually how it happens. Even look at Paul McCartney right now, one of the most celebrated artists of all time, so lauded for so much of his work, his work from 40 years ago, his work from 60 years ago, not his work right now. <laughs> if that doesn't paint you a clear picture for absolute best case scenario for most people on this journey that so many people are fascinated with, then I don't know what does. Best case scenario, you write a ton of amazing songs, you're the most popular person in the world, and then later on, People don't care anymore because they're on to the next thing. I'm saying all this to say, if we're living our life for this idea that we make things that everybody agrees with, and then suddenly that somehow means that it's done or we've done it or whatever, I really think that's missing out. Far beyond imitation of our environment and making reflective truth that we feel like it's a truth, it would be making us never die by recognizing that my rhythm has to be constantly changing. If I want to keep on repeating the past, the echoes become weaker and weaker and weaker. So every time that you want to develop a rhythm, you have to step back, see your movement in perspective, and make a jump forward. And that's how you can develop it. The Wisdom of Madness is produced by Rasuli, Jesh Durox, and Elizabeth Joy Windham. Our theme music is by Niklas Poshberg. If you like what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Also, if you know someone who would appreciate this podcast, we encourage you to share it, screenshot it, and airdrop it to your friends, family, and community. 